what's up punks welcome back to the poker punks podcast this is episode five titled find their pain point what i mean by this is we are looking at hands where we are targeting our villains pain point and by pain point i mean the bet amount that make or break a hand this is the way that you get maximum value for your raises and your bets by not letting them off the hook when you bet too much and they don't feel they have strong enough hands to call. You want to figure out what's the maximum amount that they will call with a second best, third best hand or a draw. That way you can target your betting patterns to push right up to that line and not go over it to get the calls that you want or on bluffs, push that right over that limit to get the folds that you want when you don't have it. So if you are looking at a villain and you notice a pattern where every time you bet $75 or $80, they'll call with a float or with a draw, but anytime you bet over $100, they always fold unless they have the nuts, you need to remember that. You need to remember that and utilize it to your advantage. When you have a hand, you bet up to that amount, but not over it because you want them to call. But if you're pushing an edge and you get to a river and you have to bluff, you want to go beyond that pain point to make sure that you get maximum fold equity out of those hands that you don't make. You want to exploit their tolerances to your benefit and make sure you're getting maximum value when you have a hand. So with that said, let's get into some hands. So for this hand, we are brand new to the table. It is the first hand that we're playing for the night, and we are in the big blind, and our main villain in this hand is $340 effective. We look down at pocket fives, the five of hearts, five of clubs. Middle position one, cutoff, and the button all call. I check my options since I don't really know anything about anyone at this table yet. They're not familiar players to me. So we go to a flop with $13 in the pot, and that flop smashes us. Two of spades, five of spades, six of diamonds. With flopping middle set here on such a draw-heavy board, I don't feel any need to slow play this hand, which is something that I don't really advise to do anyway. I always advise to fast play hands because at lower stakes, people expect you to slow play hands when you have a big hand. So by doing the opposite, you're going to get a lot more calls from non-believers who think if I had made a big hand here, I'd be slow playing it. So by you fast playing it, you're playing against that typical stereotype of a low limit player. So that being said, we bet $10 here and we get calls all the way around. So we have $53 in the pot going to a turn card which is the three of hearts. This is not a great card for us because it puts a one-liner out there to a four, but the odds of someone having a four first in aren't that great. A lot of rec players like to play bigger cards, so someone having a four is a possibility, but it's not a guarantee here. With that said, with still middle set, we decide to bet out now for $25 since everyone called our $10 bet. We get calls from 
the middle position one player and the cutoff, but the button then raises to $65. Essentially, this is just a min click, but it is very indicative of a recreational player to raise but not raise very strong when they have a made hand. So the thing that I'm thinking here is this player probably has some sort of four or maybe he has something like ace three of spades, ace six of spades, something with a draw still, but also a flush draw. We're not going anywhere because this is just such a small raise and we have so many outs that can improve us. We call the player in middle position one folds and the cutoff calls. So we're going to a river with $273 in this pot and we hit the gin card, the two of hearts. So I have a decision here. The villain in this hand has about 265 effective in his stack. The cutoff has about 180 effective in his stack. And we have about a pot size bet from either player, a little bit under for the cutoff and very little under for the button. When the button raises the turn and is essentially screaming, I have a four, I really don't think he's a good enough player to fold a straight here, even with a paired board. The cutoff, on the other hand, could have anything here from a four for a straight, a flush draw that missed. He could have pocket deuces for all we know, and he just played them slow. That's one of the hallmarks of a rec player is playing a big hand slow. He could have flopped bottom set and been playing it slow. But we're not going to be afraid of monsters under the bed here. And our thought is either of these players could call a shove if they have a four. And we decide to go all in for effectively the 265 that the button has. When it gets to the cutoff, he thinks about it for a second, but ultimately folds. So now it's around to the button, and this gentleman, he seems a little timid. He thinks about it for a little while, and eventually he folds as well. So unfortunately, in this situation, I went way past the line of where either player could call a bet. I think if I would have dialed it back and not gotten so excited about there only being a pot size bet and thinking any logical player with a straight here who is a rec weak player is going to call thinking, oh, we're probably chopping. I was wrong. I totally overvalued what they would call. And I tried to go for the gusto where in actuality, if I would have bet probably about a hundred dollars, maybe a little less, I think I would have gotten a call from at least one of them. So this is a perfect example of not having the information at this point, but Later on, there were several hands that the button player in particular played where he was calling bets that were up to or close to $100, but as soon as it hit that $100 mark or above, he was folding so fast it wasn't even an option for him to call. So later on, we started to realize this and started to take advantage of this in our later play with this player. But this is a perfect example of if you're new to the table and you don't have a read, don't go for the gusto because rec players often don't want to risk their whole stack if they have a hand that isn't the nuts. 
So while I probably could have gotten anywhere from a hundred, maybe $150 even called in this situation with any player that has a four or maybe even two pair that's over the, the twos here, like five, six, it's not likely seeing as I have two fives, but maybe they would have called. Anyway, you have to put these things in your memory banks for future hands. So that way you don't make the same mistake a second time. All right, for this next hand, we are in middle position and we look down at six of hearts, seven hearts. The under the gun player raises to $15. This is the same player that I thought had the four in the previous hand who folded to a big bet on the river. So this player has not really raised much, if at all, all night. So him leading out for $15 here is a bit suspect to me. The player to my right in under the gun one calls and instead of three betting here, I decide to call as well. I know a lot of players would think that this is a good three bet bluff candidate, but I don't really think three bet bluffs are an effective use of your stack at the lower limits at one, three at two, five, because the players that are opening these hands under the gun, especially aren't the players who are going to be scared off by a three bet that's a bluff three bet. They're either going to put you on a massive hand or they have a massive hand and you're not going to get a lot of middling Broadway cards or suited cards to call. You're not going to get a lot of lower pairs to call. You're only going to get very premium hands calling you. So that puts you at a disadvantage when you're thinking about three bet bluffing in these type of scenarios. I really think that middle pairs and suited connectors play much better as a flat and evaluate the flop at lower levels than they do as a three bet bluff. So like I said, we're in middle position, we flat call, but to our surprise, also the cutoff and the button come along making a pot of $75 and we go to a flop of jack of hearts, five of diamonds, three of hearts. Initially, I look at this and I think this is a great flop for us. We have a combo draw with a hearts draw and a gut shot to a four and under the gun bets $40 here. Since the play at this table has been pretty passive, when under the gun one folds, I don't think that this is a great spot to raise. I'm only going to get called by over pairs, sets, and the nut flush draw from the under the gun better. And I still have two players left to act behind me. And I think that this is going to play much better as a call on the flop and evaluate the turn. So I make the call here for $40. And then to my shock and surprise, the cutoff ends up raising to $140. The button then goes all in for their last $110. And there were a couple things about this sequence of events that piqued my interest. The cutoff raise was the first time that I've seen this player raise at all, all night. And it's for this game, a fairly substantial raise. The player on the button was total OMC 
and he could not wait to get his money in. He was ready to shove. As soon as I noticed when I made my call, he almost had all of his chips in the middle already before it even got to the cutoff. So those two players raising and going all in was big alarm bells to me, red flags all over. And then when it gets back to the under the gun player, they go all in over the top for $191. So with the raise and two all ins, it really put the kibosh on me thinking that I am in a great position here in this hand. Essentially, when it comes back to me, I go into the tank for a minute and I start thinking about the type of hands that could make this type of play, especially at this level. So I start thinking, what could the cutoff have here? He can either have pocket fives, pocket jacks, pocket threes. He could have all the sets because at this level, people are going to call any kind of pocket pair. He could also have any higher flush draw than me. It's not very hard. I only have a seven high flush draw here. And he could just be overplaying some sort of hand like pocket queens, pocket kings, or pocket aces. So that coupled with the fact that a button player who I tagged as an OMC is getting all of his money in and the player who folded what I thought was a straight to me in the hand before also goes all in. When I think about it again, I'm looking at it. I'm first of all trying to figure out if the cutoff can reopen, which he can't. And I figure that out pretty quickly because he raised $100 over the under the gun players, $40. So when the under the gun player goes all in for $191, that's only $51 more. So betting cannot be reopened by anyone other than myself. So I go into the tank and I start thinking my flush draw is likely no good here. I could be up against a set. So it really gives me three clean outs to the four of clubs, the four of diamonds, and the four of spades. Thinking that there is only three outs twice, so that is about 12% chance, even though I'm getting incredible odds for this hand. I'm looking at a pot of about $500 and it's $100 for me to call. I'm getting roughly five or six to one on my money, but I'm only getting 12%. I only have 12% equity here. So as much as I wanted to call here, my gut was telling me it's not a good call. So I make the fold. For me, the bad news comes quickly when the turn card is the four of diamonds binking my straight. The river is a two of clubs, which does not complete any of the flush draws. And not to my surprise, really, under the gun tables, pocket kings. Kind of expected him to have a big hand here, either kings, aces, jacks, maybe queens. So him having pocket kings here, was completely reasonable. The cutoff is where I really got a surprise because he ends up turning over king of spades, jack of diamonds. So he had top pair with second kicker and decided to turn it into a semi-bluff, which really blew up in his face. The hand that really surprised me the most was the button turned over ace of hearts, five of diamonds. 
So all he had was a pair of fives and a backdoor draw to a flush. I have a feeling that this player misread his hand, saw the ace of hearts, saw the red five, thought they had a pair and the nut flush draw and was trying to get all the money in in hopes that either he was already good with the pair or would improve with the flush draw. So the under the gun player ends up taking down this pot and essentially a little bit more than doubling himself up. And to our amusement, we made the right fold at the wrong time, I like to say, because the percentages I was given for the amount of money I had to put in were not great. 12% equity for five to one. You could argue that that's a call you should be making, but when I feel that I am beat, I am not going to second guess folding a hand that I know was behind. And in this situation, my hand was behind. So even though I got there, I can't be results oriented and think that I should have made this call. Really, I was right in the sense that I should have had three outs. Uh, I think that button player was giving off strong signs that he had a big hand and the nut flush draw would have been a big hand. It's just I think he misread his hand. So the signals he was giving off were a false flag because he thought I think he I think he thought he had the nut flush draw. So the moral here is to proceed cautiously when a lot of rec players who are rather nitty are trying to pile money into pots and reevaluate your hands like a flush draw with a straight draw to see, okay, if I have a flush draw here, what is the likelihood that if four players get all in, one of them doesn't have a higher than seven flush draw? And I don't really think that that's very likely in most scenarios. Some scenarios it is going to happen like this one, but I don't think that that is going to be the case most of the time. Most of the time you're going to get one guy with a set, one guy with an overpair, and one guy with the nut flush draw or the second nut flush draw. So in those situations, you really don't want to be fourth man in drawing very thin. It's better to just conserve the chips, use them at a better time when you have a better equity and better read on your opponents. For the last hand this episode, we have our first listener submitted hand. This hand comes to us from John. It is from a daily tournament at the Horseshoe Indianapolis Casino. The tournament pays seven places. There are 21 players left. And the blind level is the 1K, 1.5K, 1.5K level. Our hero is under the gun plus one and has about 38 bigs in his stack. And he has the jack of clubs, jack of spades. In this hand, the under the gun player jams for about a little under 24 bigs. John says that this is a fairly tight player, definitely a recreational player. He says the guy is in his late 50s, early 60s, so he could be a rec player bordering on an OMC. And he has only gotten to showdown with very solid hands, except for one bluff attempt that got caught. And John's question for me was, should he call or should he fold? 
And when I think about it, there's a couple different lines you can take here. The conservative line is you're well away from the money at this point. You still have, you know, 14 players to go to the money and chipping up is never a bad thing. But you're risking about two thirds of your stack here on pocket jacks from an under the gun jam of a rec player, possible OMC. And are jacks really going to be all that good here in this situation? It's not like he's jamming for four or five bigs. It's about 24. So if I think of it that way, and the fact that you are under the gun plus one, you still have the rest of the table to act behind you. And the worst thing that could happen here is for you to call and someone to jam over the top of you behind, because at that point, you're most likely drawing very slim, if not dead, and you're going to have to get the rest of your stack in at that point. And Jax is one of those hands that's really on the cusp. If you're the type of player who plays a lot of daily tournaments and it's not a big deal for you, if you bust out in 21st place here or, you know, somewhere around there, I say go for it. Jax is a pretty strong hand. He could be doing this with a lot of worse hands. He could be doing it with middle pairs. He could be doing it with tens. He could be doing it with ace-king, ace-queen, those sort of hands. So, I don't think that calling is wrong, but if you think you have a significant edge on the field, I think that folding here is perfectly acceptable. And that's what John did in this situation. He did fold, but he said he kept second guessing himself. That's why he wanted to submit this hand because it had been kind of eating at him. And in my opinion, I, I don't think that a fold here is a bad thing just because it's at best, the high end of marginal, but you have the whole rest of the table to act behind you. And by you just calling, you're going to incentivize someone to come over the top of you to either come over the top of you with a bigger hand to try and get the rest of your stack in or to come over the top of you with a stronger marginal hand that could outdraw you and still get your stack in and if you really think you have an edge on the field, why risk two-thirds of your stack, possibly your whole stack, if it is a marginal situation? Some people are probably going to flame me in the comments saying that this is too nitty. But in my opinion, at low stakes, this is a daily tournament. It's probably maybe a $100 tournament. It's not the hugest tournament. There's other ones to come along. If this were a more significant tournament, it might be a little bit more on the call side. But in my opinion, caution is the better part of valor here. Uh, you don't want to end up running into kings, queens, or aces you know, in late position and be completely dominated. Or you don't want to run into under the gun, jamming with aces or kings here and still being completely dominated for two-thirds of your stack. It's one of those things where the chips won in a tournament are worth less than the chips lost in a tournament. And that's total tournament strategy no matter where you look. Even though I'm not really a tournament player, I do enjoy playing tournaments. Most of the tournaments I play are online. I live in Pennsylvania. Uh, 
you know, STARS and WSOP are legal here in Pennsylvania, so it's not a sketchy site like Bros or GG where I'm playing um, in a gray area. It's a totally legal, legit site that, you know, I play my tournaments on, but I tend to, uh, even in those, you know, I'm playing $10, $15, sometimes $50 tournaments. I tend to edge towards the side of caution because I think I have an edge over most of the field. So by folding here, I think it was a good play and hopefully you were able to cash in this tournament. All right, punks, that is a wrap on podcast number five about finding your opponent's pain point. Remember, the thing you want to keep in mind is getting max value for your raises and bets. So pre-flop, that means find the point where you're getting more folds than calls and push it to that limit. You want to try and get pots heads up maybe three ways. You don't want going five ways to every pot. So if you bet 15 pre-flop and you get five callers, try 20 the next time. Maybe you'll get three callers or two callers. That's the ideal spot you want to be in because taking pots down is the name of this game. And by having it be heads up or maybe three-way, it makes it a lot easier to take those pots down. Also, you want to make sure to find your villain's pain point. What I mean by that is the point where they chicken out from your bets. Like the villain I had in hand number one, it turned out his pain point was about a $100 bet. If he bet $90, he was likely to call with a lot of draws or a lot of second pair hands. But as soon as it got to $100, he wanted to fold quicker than anything unless he had a nutted hand. So Try and find that for each player at your table and make sure you're paying attention not just to the bets you're making, but the bets they're making and the bets they're calling in hands that you aren't in so that you can try and establish that point where you can bet up to their threshold but not over it because when you want the calls, you want to bet up to their threshold but not over it. But when you want to bluff them off a hand, you know the optimal bet size to get them off that hand that you want them to fold. So with that also, I want to thank John for his submission. First one, John got a Poker Punks card protector for submitting his hand for the podcast. If you'd like to get a Poker Punks podcast uh, coin card protector, all you have to do, go to pokerpunks.com. On there, you'll find the form to submit your hand, get a second opinion. Maybe I'll put it on the podcast if I think it's an interesting hand. Either way, I'll respond with my thoughts on the hand and how I might have played the hand. Uh, I might play it differently than you. I might have played it the same way as you. Not saying that my opinion is better than yours. It's just a different set of eyes on the same circumstance. I do that all the time. I have a couple friends of mine that I bounce hands off of from time to time to see what their take is on the way I played the hand, how they might have played the hand. And that's what we're trying to do here with this podcast is build a community of players who play at the lower limits and help each other get better with our decisions, with our thought process behind hands with our analysis of our villains so that we can push our win rate as high as possible. So, like I said, if you want to submit a hand for review, 
pokerpunks.com. You can do it there. Also, if you're liking the podcast, give us a shout out on social media. We're on Facebook. We're on Twitter. We're on Instagram. Uh, tell your friends about us. That's the best thing that can happen for us is to get some word of mouth and get some more listeners. And if you uh, like what you're hearing, you can subscribe at your favorite podcast feed or subscribe on YouTube because these are going to be going up on YouTube now as well. And as always, run it up the punks.